Do you remember back at the beginning of the pandemic when we all had to switch to Zoom meetings overnight, but we hadn't quite figured out how to make it work yet? I remember there were these memes that flew around the internet where someone who had to go in the middle of a Zoom meeting would take their computer with them into the bathroom. Inevitably, they'd forget to turn off their camera and, well, you can guess what happened next. When it comes to remote work etiquette, we've come a long way since those early days of all-day meetings. We know now that when we have to pee, for example, the correct thing to do is to type, I'll be back in a few minutes, into the Zoom chat and just exit the room. But there are still so many ways, some hilarious, some less so, that we can gaff it up at work, especially as society's definition of good manners evolves. I'm Tiffany Jones-Brown, and this is Remotely Curious, a podcast from Dropbox that asks all the questions about hybrid, remote, or as we call it, virtual first work. For this last episode of season two, I am so happy to welcome back the hosts of the podcast Schmanners to talk about more things etiquette and remote work. But first, I wanted to hear from someone else who's been thinking about this topic to see what people are doing to get a handle on remote work etiquette. That's where my fellow Dropboxer Scott comes in. So my name is Scott Page. I was originally hired to do automation for the corporate networking team, but I'm currently working more on kind of overall design where we try to integrate the tools that our Dropbox employees use. Scott does presentations on mindfulness and emotional intelligence, and he thinks about general human etiquette a lot. His philosophy is that how you show up, wherever you are, matters. Not just in the physical sense, but also from an emotional and mental perspective. For a while now, he's been thinking and asking, how do we show up as our authentic selves at work? And since going remote, that discussion, like everything, has expanded. Thinking about etiquette in a virtual first world is really interesting because when you think about being in an office situation, there's a lot of conversation about how you actually show up at work, right? When you're rolling from meeting to meeting to meeting and it's just faces on a screen, that's a very different feeling than being in the office with people. And it's just important to remember those dynamics. When you're thinking about how you show up at work, you know, there's a set of norms that people conform to that is in the best interest of just everybody in order to try to get work done. And when you're starting to think about, well, how can I show up as my authentic self, but also, you know, be effective, be professional and and work effectively, there's this kind of really interesting issue about vulnerability, right? Because to show up as your authentic self, you have to be vulnerable. Scott says the most difficult part about losing that in-person connection is feeling unable to read a person's tone or body language, which makes it hard to respond to a conversation in the appropriate way. The etiquette around those moments is hazy. I'm not seeing this person at the coffee, you know, maker anymore. I'm not seeing them at lunch. I'm not seeing them in the hall or in meeting rooms. And there's a lot that you can tell from a person just by the way they act. And, you know, even if you're not involved in the conversation, if you're just observing somebody, there's a lot that I think that we pull in. And we've lost that, what's the best way to put it? We've lost that piece of information or visual data. Scott says that one thing he's found to be really helpful is team building exercises. And I think that Dropbox does, at least from my experience, it does a good job of trying to reinforce that by doing 
we call them offsites. We have one like once a quarter. And I think that's really good for team building. But it's also important to just recognize that not all the teammates have this kind of natural connection that they would if we were in the office. Scott's thoughts really got me thinking. Are my etiquette practices and standards the same as my coworkers? And are there times when remote work etiquette conflicts with being my authentic self? Our guests today, Travis and Teresa McElroy, are the hosts of Schmanners, a historical comedy podcast about all things etiquette. Last season, our conversation was broad and centered on being explicit with our expectations. This time around, though, we wanted to dive a little deeper into their personal remote work etiquette practices and expectations. You talked a little bit about what etiquette is, and you talked about it as these steps in a dance. Yeah. I'm curious if you can say more about that very basic question, like, what is etiquette and what is its purpose? Well, so I think more and more, we think of etiquette as kind of like an outdated concept, Yeah, where really it's about navigating the world, right? We have this kind of like agreement of how we respond to things, you know, in different cultures, of course, at different time periods. Um, And when you know what to do and you feel prepared about going out and say, like, even if it's like calling someone on the phone, right? Not a lot of people do that kind of voluntarily anymore, Mm -hmm. maybe because they don't understand the steps to do it. Mm -hmm. The idea of a greeting and introducing yourself and being very succinct about what it is you want. So like that is the way that we approach etiquette where all of these little pieces, we help people line it up so that they feel better about where they like live in their world. We think of etiquette as being very classist, which in a way it is, Hmm. because you do need a certain amount of resources to have, you know, the time and ability to learn all this stuff. But we also think of it as being like a thing people use to like judge other people, which Hmm. they did. But at its core, it existed to help you navigate social situations in a way that you're like, I did a good job. I checked Hmm. this box and I checked this box and I did this and I know that that went well. So there is the performative side of etiquette of like, check these boxes and you can leave. And now there's a much more like realistic, I think, version of being honest. And and that I think it's just a new form, though, of we're getting more comfortable saying what we actually need. Mm. And in a way, I would feel that etiquette is even closer to our centers than before because it has so much to do with the way that you feel about the world, right? Instead of the way that you are perceived by others. And if everyone, you know, thinks about how they're looking at the world through a protective place, through a helpful place, through a growing place, then we can all grow together, you know? Mm. And I, yeah, I think the way to think about it is like, if we talk about etiquette is like a map to the landscape that is society, right? And as our society becomes more comfortable talking about stuff like mental health and, you know, like self-care, setting boundaries, having that kind of thing, it's like, oh, okay, we're more comfortable talking about that, so the etiquette shifts around it, which is why there's often so much, like, generational dissonance. Yes. Where, like, your grandparents will be like, what, I can't believe you would talk to your mom that way or talk to your kid that way or whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, like, it's much more normalized now to do that yes, because it happened over time. So the etiquette shifts and not the other way around. Like 
it is not a concrete thing. It shifts as society shifts. Yes, it does feel like our conception, our vision of etiquette is still caught in forks and spoons and corsets. Right. Even though what we mean by it and even how we conceive of it has shifted dramatically. But in our heads, I'm curious if we're still thinking of, you know, corsets and forks and spoons in the same way. I mean, it's why we it's why we call the show Schmanners. Yeah. It's that thing of like, okay, don't manner Schmanners. Don't like don't think about it that way. Like with a capital E etiquette, a capital M manners. Like think about it of like manners, manners. Okay. Yeah. We're talking about like the day-to-day like surviving, you know, yes. society kind of stuff. We recently did an interview with an amazing fashion historian who studies mm-hmm. the casualization of clothing and workwear, like athleisure. Yeah. And to me, it feels like a similar trend is happening over time with etiquette from the corsets to the sweatpants version, so that it's become more relaxed over time. I'm curious if this is your sense, having studied it. I I would disagree that it is becoming more relaxed. I mm-hmm. would say that it is becoming less performative. Yeah. Ooh, say more. So, I mean, we've been talking a little bit about how things like, for example, which fork or spoon to use at a restaurant, mm-hmm. right? And... The fact of the matter is, after you use a fork, it's going to be cleared because that fork now tastes like fish or whatever, right? And so it is more about our personal experiences with the world and each other and Mm. less about looking like we know what we're doing. Yeah. So it sounds like the shift is more from the goal of conforming and performing to basically being respectful and relating, and how do, how do we just relate? Yeah. Well, you talk a lot about how etiquette is subjective. But it got me thinking there's a related concept or maybe related concept, virtue, which mm. seems possibly less subjective, at least in the sense that we all tend to agree on classic virtues like kindness and respect and honesty. So I'm curious if you can talk a little about your sense of the relationship between etiquette and virtues. It has a little bit to do with the golden rule, right? That's a that's a big virtuous kind of umbrella we can put etiquette under where like you want to treat people how you want to be treated. And etiquette plays very well into that because if we all know what to do, we know what to expect, we know how we are expected to behave with others. And, you know, so much of the way that especially like we talk a lot about Emily Post and one of the things that she always did was her her mantra was that you lead by example, right? So you don't call out the way mm. that people are breaching the etiquette, right? You are supposed to just make a good example about it. And then another person that we, we mention a lot, maybe not as recently, but Miss Manners, mm-hmm. Judith Martin, she was a believer in if you meet rudeness with rudeness, you only double the amount of rudeness in the world. So I think that both of those really do play into the virtues of of kindness and respect and things like that. So that the way that we use etiquette is to lift others up instead of like tearing them down. Mm. So when we last spoke, I think I asked you guys to share any research you might have on remote work etiquette. And you said you hadn't engaged with much outside of video conferencing. So I know there's not much out there, but what would you like to see researched? 
The one that immediately springs to mind is how it's changed communication of like, if you're working in the same like office space, a cubicle away, you can just like lean over and say something. Now we have to get used to like making a little more effort to make sure stuff is communicated both clearly, quickly, and like concisely, concisely, yes. but also like kindly. It's really easy to read into a thing of like, oh, they're angry that I'm not done with that yet. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, no, I, when I said like, where is it? The rest of that wasn't because it should be here. I was just wondering, like, and also that that very common feeling of this could have been an email, where we're craving that kind of communication, especially from remote working, to be able to just lean over the cubicle and say the one thing. But when it comes to information that needs to be spread fast, right? I think that making it an email makes it so that it's it's not only there to like reference again, it also makes people feel like it's not a reprimand, right? Yeah. So many times we get to, somebody gets to a meeting and feels like, oh, this is going to be like the worst hour of my life. And then it, it ends up being five be. minutes. I also think that, and maybe this doesn't fall into etiquette, but I think changing the way we think about productivity, because like if you're working in an office, right, that idea of like, you don't look busy or I need to look busy or whatever, Versus now of like, if you work from home and it's an eight hour day, but you finish all your work really, really well in two and a half hours and everything you needed to do is done and done right. Great. Like I, or you're waiting for another piece of the puzzle or whatever from right. someone else. That's almost like a virtue signaling, right? I am a worthy worker yeah. because I'm always busy, not because I get my job done well or fast or efficiently. Yeah, I'd I'd rather have somebody super focused for two hours than ma- than looking busy for eight. Yeah, completely. I'm one of those work sprinters. Like I'm pretty much always sprinting in my head, and so I finish things probably more quickly than I should. But in remote work, I actually find it quite difficult to to stop. Mm. Whereas in person work, there were all of these natural breaks, of, which were other human beings, like my right my human speed bumps. So. Um, that's also an interesting dimension of it, not necessarily an etiquette dimension. But well, I mean, being constantly available is definitely part of part of the workplace etiquette, right? Where if you're off the clock at five, what does that mean for somebody emailing or texting, or when they expect a response from that? There's there's a couple arguments as far as like if I'm always on the clock, I should be paid mm-hmm. always, or the idea that it somehow reflects on like company loyalty or or something like that where the people who are always checking their email are somehow more valuable than mm-hmm. the people who are able to like shut their laptop and not worry about it until 9 a.m. the next day. I think that's a thing, a big shift that I think is an incredibly healthy, great shift in workplace etiquette that more and more people now are talking about that idea of like, this is what I am paid to do, and this is what you asked me to do, and if you would like me to do more than that, mm-hmm. then I should be paid more than that. And I think people becoming more comfortable setting those boundaries professionally as well and saying, like, hey, after 6 p.m., like, I don't answer calls or work emails, but I'm back on the clock at this time, and that becoming more normal and more, like, everybody, everybody doing that is better than like everybody wanting to do that, but being afraid, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like if we set that as like the normal standard of like when you're not working, 
you don't answer. Which I feel like is something, uh, this is one of the great pendulum swings in society, right? Where before email, before you could reach people on their cell phones, if they were out of the office, you left a message and they got back to it the next day, right? Whether it was a written message with the secretary or it was a voicemail or it was a note or whatever. And then we got all of this technology where you could take your computer home with you or you, you know, you have a work phone. And so you're expected to always be working because you have that ability to do so. And now we're back to the other side where we're like, well, maybe that was Mm. unhealthy. (laughs) Maybe what we need to do is find a better balance between on the clock and off the clock so that we can have that. I mean, it feels so like, you know, buzzwordy to be like work-life balance. Just say millennial. Maybe you've heard the term quiet quitting. If you're on TikTok, there's pretty much no way to avoid it. I personally think the term is a little misleading since it's not necessarily about quitting, but the concept behind it is very much what Teresa and Travis are talking about. Just doing the work tasks that make sense given your job description, pay grade, and hours in the day instead of pushing yourself to go above and beyond all the time. Like any trendy idea, quiet quitting can have a less helpful dimension. For example, refusing to help your coworkers on reasonable tasks just because they aren't written in your job description might not be the most adaptive way to show up. However, learning to set smart boundaries, cultivate personal agency, and avoid the trap of an always-on, burn-you-out way of working seems very adaptive. One thing that we talk about a lot is this difference between busyness and impact. It's related Mm -hmm. to sort of the factory model or butts and seats mentality around working versus no, just focus on doing work that really matters, that makes a difference. And that mental shift for people can, I think, be really supportive and also help them to sort of calibrate on, should I be doing this or not? Does this really matter or not? Mm -hmm. I worked at a coffee shop. I got fired because they were like, we don't like your work ethic. And I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, well, it's just that like when you finish the stuff you're supposed to do for the day, we want you to find other stuff to do. And I was Mm. like, okay, like what? And they're like, well, we want you to figure that out. And I was like, well, could you add the other stuff you want me to do to the daily list? And then I'll do that too. And they're like, no, but that's the point. (laughs) When you finish the daily list, we want you to find other things to do. I'm like, well, how am I supposed to know what those other things are if you don't tell, how am I supposed to just know? And they're like, well, that's exactly it. We want you to figure it. I'm like, or you could just tell me. I'll do it. It felt like a weird sphinx riddle. Or they like, <laughs> what is there to do? Ah, what is there to do? No, I'm asking you. Ah, but I'm asking you. I don't know. <laughs> um, so I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about how each of you work best and practice etiquette with each other. So Teresa is very good at doing this and then this and then this and then this and like the kind of rotation of daily or like knowing the things and doing a little bit at a time. I can't, I can't like, if I do a little bit at a time, I bounce off of it so quickly, but man, like point me towards the kitchen and give me like an hour and a half and I'll clean the whole thing. Mm. Like, and I think that's true of work too. If I sit down and I'm like in the zone and I, in a very ADHD way, like I'm uh, hyper-focused. My older brother was referred to as like, sometimes ADHD is like a superpower for you. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, man, when I'm zoned in, like I am completing stuff left and right. Unfortunately, I can't control it. <laughs> I can't decide <laughs> to do that. It has to happen. So there's also plenty of times where I'm like, I can't 
do anything right now. I can't think of anything yeah. right now. I think that a little bit of the way that I work has has changed over the years where when I first started with the, the house and the family and the kids and, the, and all that kind of stuff, right? I felt like I was responsible for every single thing. And not only did that make it a little, I mean, it made it impossible, right? For me to do everything and feel like I was doing it well enough. And also like it built a little bit of like resentment, right? About how the other person isn't pulling their weight, but I haven't asked them. That's me. Hi, it's me. <laughs> Hi, I'm the other person. It's me. And so the thing that I actually work towards every day is asking for what I need mm. and giving over a task completely and doing things where trying to trying to give Travis to mention his name <laughs> what a little a little <laughs> more grace in the idea of like we are different people we work differently and he's not doing this to upset you <laughs> yeah um I will also say, and I think this applies in all relationships, one of the things I've learned over the years is instead of saying, do you need me to do that or do you want me to do that, which now puts more mental load where they have to make a decision and just say, instead of say, I could do that. Like, oh, let me take care of that. Oh, how about I do this while you work on that, right? So instead of it being questions, make it statements. Hmm. And then they can say, I'd rather do it. And you're like, okay, well, then what can I do? Right. And I know that we're we're talking a lot about our domestic life, but you know, both working from home, if Travis isn't in his office doing podcasts, that is our job. We are working. And so it doesn't it feels a little there's a blurring. There's a blurring, the right, mm -hmm. between our work life and our our domestic life, but it is the same because in the middle of like between two meetings today, Travis went to go pick up our child from school, right? And so doing that is part of his workday, mm -hmm. even though it's not necessarily work. Last season, our big takeaway was to be explicit about our expectations mm -hmm. for, at work if we're managers or organizations or with individuals to sort of practice effective etiquette. It's, it's about explicitness was the kind of message we took away. I'm curious if you can say more, what expectations do you think are important to explicitly set if you're working remotely or in a domestic partnership? I would say this isn't exclusive to like working from home or whatever, but the idea of explicitly communicating like what does success look like for you? What does a good job look like for however you want to say it? Mm -hmm. Because it might be that the employee is thinking, yeah, I got this project done, success. Yes. And the boss is thinking, well, if I had known you had more time, there was something else that really needed to be done today, but I didn't want to like ask you for too much and I don't know how much you're able to do and and then the employee's like, well, I didn't want you to ask me to do more stuff. Like that kind of thing of like Completely. explicitly figuring out like, okay, well maybe instead it's like the work that would take you five days working four hours a day, would you rather get it all done in three days working eight hours a day? I think being open to, yeah, the project got done and the stuff got done and that's great. Mm -hmm. But was it done in a way that everybody feels successful about it just because it got done? Mm -hmm. I think is, is a thing that often 
goes undiscussed because we think so much about the end result that we don't always think about the process. Mm -hmm. Did the process feel good? And I think that's a thing that needs to be explicitly discussed more. Travis, you mentioned a certain someone who occasionally uses nail clippers while on calls. Oh, my and dad? So, uh, yeah, I can't remember. If somebody in your gene pool, I felt like I remembered. Bless him. Are there any other absolute no-gos that either of you can mention? This is like a personal preference thing. But if like if you need to step away from a call, like especially if it's video call, saying like, I need to step away or I am back when you come back, because sometimes like somebody has to step away from a call and then you're like waiting for them to be back and like their videos off. And you're like, yeah, well, we could talk about that when such and such is back. And they're like, oh, I'm back. And it's like, man, we've been sitting here <laughs> for like five minutes waiting Tell for you. And back. I didn't know you were back. Like how yeah. long have you been back? This is wasted a lot of time. Right. You really have to use your words in remote work in a way yeah. that absolutely you would not have to have used your words like that if you're in an office. And when somebody leaves, it's very apparent. When they come back, it's very apparent. But the you know need to be very explicit increases dramatically. Yeah, and the thing, yeah, with video calls, my mind will wonder, and I will often. This is like a gaffe that I do, where I'll forget. Like, yeah, people can see me, and I'll start doing distracting stuff. Like, I'll be looking at my phone while someone's talking or whatever. That happened once we were recording an episode. Yeah, and we were like on video. Justin's like, you know, I can see you looking at your phone. I was like, oh, okay. So here's what happened there. My brain got so bored, I had to distract it so that I could keep listening to you. But I realized that for you, that must have been really off-putting. And he's like, it was. And I was like, yeah, man, absolutely. Normally, I'm not on video, and you would never have known. Because I would have kept, I would not have stopped listening to you. I would not have stopped talking with you. But I needed to be distracted to keep paying attention, which sometimes happens to me. And so just remembering that you're like you're on call and your actions, even though if you're not in the same room, can still be distracting when someone's trying to talk. Yes. It's very important. So before we spoke with you, we talked to an engineer at Dropbox whose name is Scott Page. Hi, Scott. And he had a lot of thoughts about the complexities of remote work etiquette and how to stay connected enough to his colleagues to help him practice it. This question for you is, you're both part of these large communities of people, other podcasts, employees, and managers. And he's curious, what do you all do to maintain that sense of team bonding and connection virtually? Um, and he's also wondering, have you seen any kind of activities that teams do online that help with team bonding? The macroid company, which is called Big Giant Head, it's based off of in our hometown of Huntington on our way I love this story. to church every Sunday. There was this man who, for some reason, in his backyard was carving a very large stone bust of, I believe, George Washington, if I remember mm. correctly. And every time we'd drive by it, we'd say, like, hey, Big Giant Head. Hello, Big Giant Head. <laughs> And so that was just, and also we all have big giant heads. And so that became. That is empirically true. Yeah, They true. do have large heads. So a big giant head, we at this point, I think like have 10 or 11 employees and they all work across the country. And we have done virtual escape rooms. Ooh. We have done virtual cocktail parties. We have a Slack going, but there's also then within that, like basically a break room channel as well as like a general channel that has become like, look at this weird thing I found on TikTok or whatever. Like we share a lot of like just weird. It's at this point, we've all worked together long enough that we know like, oh, this is a news story that will be specifically interesting to McKay or to Shannon. And we can like drop that in there 
and we do that a lot. But we also recently did like an employee retreat where we did, when we were doing live shows in DC, we stayed like two extra days and flew everybody in for those two and like actually did like dinners and tours and stuff. I think that all the virtual stuff is very good. At a certain point, I think if you can, once a year at least, like try yeah. to get together. I think what you miss out on on like a Zoom call or a big group is the breakout of like, oh yeah, I just had a great conversation. It was just me and Tom, you know, of like, it's really hard to have individual conversations when everybody's on the Zoom call together. Yeah. Especially uh, when in in virtual meetings, you almost have to think in paragraph form. There's yeah. not a lot that people, unless you've got really good connection, Wi-Fi, whatever, where you can interject constantly. Completely. Yeah. So I think that the, the side conversations kind of fall off. Travis and Teresa, thank you so much. You're both so fun and easy to be around. Oh, thank, thank you. you so much. Thanks for having us. All right, last takeaways of the season. Here we go. Number one, remember that etiquette isn't just about using the correct cutlery. It's about navigating the world and relating well to other people. If you're like Travis and sometimes forget the steps to the dance, know that the golden rule, treating people how you'd like to be treated, never fails. Number two, lead by example. If someone's falling down on their etiquette, instead of calling them out, try calling them in by showing what good looks like. As I said in our last episode on this topic, to quote the great etiquette expert Judith Martin, meeting rudeness with rudeness only doubles the amount of rudeness in the world. Number three, when you're working remotely and communicating over email or Slack, try putting in a little extra effort to make sure your point and your tone comes across clearly. Since we can't read each other's facial expressions or body language, an extra emoji or a thoughtful greeting goes a long way. And finally, as always, be explicit. Make sure you know what's expected of you and what success looks like in your job. Even little things like saying, I'm stepping away or I'm back when you pop in and out of Zoom can make a big difference. And that's a wrap on season two. I've learned so much interviewing our brilliant guests on everything from the perils of time management to finding your focus in remote work. I honestly have more fun than is reasonable to have at work making this show. Thanks in no small part to the incredibly talented producers, designers, and supporters who do loads of behind the scenes work to make it possible. Turns out it does take a village to raise a podcast baby. Remotely Curious is brought to you by Dropbox and our friends at Cosmic Standard. Our hardworking producers are Beauty Nazaro, Samaya Adams, Angela Johnston, and Asia Pilar Simpson. Our editor is Nina Gensler-Dubbs. Our technical director is Jacob Winnick. And our executive producer is Eliza Smith. Our designers are April Rosenstock, Felice Camille Tolentino, Fanny Lohr, Gabriella Tienda, Justin Tran, and MJ Speakman. Our theme song is composed by Doug Stewart, and I'm your host, Tiffany Jones-Brown. Special thanks to Scott Page for sharing his thoughts for this episode, and of course, to Travis and Teresa McElroy of Schmanners. You can find their podcast on whatever podcast app you use to listen to this one. 
And for more tips on etiquette and setting new habits at work, check out the Dropbox Virtual First Toolkit at remotely-curious.com. Sign me up for all your work parties. That all sounds really fun. Well, um, we'd have to hire you or Tiffany. I think it would be weird to be like, she doesn't work here, but here's Tiffany. You heard. They're trying to recruit me, everybody. Yeah, there you go. Now you got it.